Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. I wouldn't say we were rattled. I think no doubt there was there was pressure. That, that's test cricket and, and it was close and it was tight and the crowd was loud. That, that, that was as hard as it gets, I suppose, for a touring side, but... Look, sometimes people make mistakes, and we made a couple today, and, and in the end it cost us a test match that and, and an unbelievable innings. So the facts are that we have been in a position to win every test match that we've played in so far. So we're doing something right. We've got to keep believing in that, keep applying ourselves to that at training. We think we've got some pretty good plans. It's, I've got every review wrong, so I'm going to give up, give it to someone else, but... Paddy come and said, oh, I think it might have pitched in line, but I think he hit it. And I said, well, he definitely didn't hit it, but I was worried where it pitched. And then it was just a spur of a moment. We'll, we'll have a dabble at it, but, yeah, got it wrong. And then did you see the footage of... of no, and I don't want to. I saw it live. It's all I need to see. You were completely convinced that it was out? And... Um, was it not? Yeah, no, it was. Oh, yeah, no, I haven't seen it. I just, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I know. As I said, I saw it live. I don't need to see a replay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Ashes Retaining. Oh, sorry, it did not happen, listeners. Australia have been defeated in one of the most glorious wins in English cricket history. That was Tim Payne speaking after. And joining me to try and digest this monumental result for England is cricket writer for News Corp, Ben Horn. Ben, what a night. What a night for England. Incredible, Menace. Uh, I don't think you see... A better test match than that and certainly not a better finish. And Ben Stokes with, uh, you know, probably one of the greatest innings in the history of test cricket when you consider everything that was on the line, 
uh, the context of of how he made those runs, absolutely incredible. Uh, what a what a player! And uh, regardless of what happens in the next two tests, this will go down as one of the greatest series in Ashes history. Sure will. And Australia were just so close to retaining the Ashes for the first time since 2001 in England. I mean, it was just so tantalisingly in front of them. This must be such a heartbreaking defeat for the players. Well, that's that's going to be the key thing, isn't it, man? Psychologically going into the next test is how do you come back from being so close uh, and now and now feeling so far? One more wicket was all they needed. Uh, they had 70-odd runs still to defend. They'll be going back through countless moments in the match where they could have could have done something different. Uh, this, yeah, we've we've sort of we'll go through them in a second, I'm sure. But several moments where the match could have uh, turned in their favour. But in the end, uh, it does take a phenomenal uh, cricketer to win in those circumstances. And uh, unfortunately for Australia, <laughs> Ben Stokes is that for England. Sure is. And let's talk a little bit about Ben Stokes and the result. I mean, he, he made 135 not out. And, and what really stood out for me with Stokes was he, he did everything in the innings. He came out and he gutsed his way to, I think, three off about 70 balls and got in and wore the opposition down. And, and then when it, it came to crunch time and he needed to shift gears and start hitting sixes, he hit eight sixes and scored 74 of the last 76 runs. I mean, it, it's just hard to fathom. Well, man, it's, um, my memory's not as good as yours and, and you would have watched it more forensically than me, but it was very similar to his innings in the World Cup against, was it Sri Lanka, and which just ended on the wrong side for England. Am I right in saying that? He, uh, it, it was sort of, my, my memory is that he basically carried them uh, for the final wicket in similar circumstances and, and just fell short, which is what could have happened last night. But to do it in test cricket and to do it when history's against you, no English team has ever chased uh, more than 350 to win a test match. The Ashes is Australia's if England lose the test. And with 70 runs to go, you run out of partners. Like It is it is literally hard to put into words how amazing that effort is from him. And uh, he's just so mentally strong. I mean, you know, we, we marvel at Steve Smith's mental strength, but, I mean, Ben Stokes is just... He's a tough cricketer. I saw him... I was there at Eden Gardens in India a few years ago when he bowled the last over of a World Cup 2020 final and got absolutely destroyed by uh, Carlos Brathwaite from the West Indies. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of moment that could break someone. I mean, they had that in the bag. He he was the villain. You know, the West Indies lorded over him. But you look at some of the big moments he's been involved in since that day and it shows his uh, his worth as a cricketer. In the one summer... He almost single-handedly got England home in the World Cup final and uh, now pulled off one of the greatest test performances. Yeah, I mean, some of the stats to come out of that chase. So it's the highest ever fourth innings chase by England, beating their 332 from 1928. Stokes scored 74 out of 76 runs at the end, as I said, but Leach only faced 17 balls. So Stokes was able to manipulate the strike very well. I think I heard on the radio that Stokes was saying he'd said Leach when he came out to bat will either do five, Five and one or four and two. I'm going to face five or four balls and then 
try and get off strike for the next over, and it absolutely worked. The, the other thing is that, I don't know if you remember, Ben, but earlier this year we saw the, the highest ever last-wicket partnership to win a, a test match, which was between Sri Lanka and South Africa, and as Pereira uh, smashing the Sri Lankans home, and England are just a few runs short of that. So in the space of six months, we, we may have seen the two most phenomenal test results in history. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, the the thing that gets it, this innings over the line for Bayern as possibly the greatest is just the, you know, the pressure of Ashes cricket. I mean, this is a home crowd. And yes, I guess some pressure was off England in the sense that they had won the World Cup this summer and they did have those um, brownie points in the bag. But to lose an Ashes series to Australia on home soil inside three test matches... Uh, in a match where you've been bowled out for 67, was would have been absolutely humiliating for England, about as low as it gets uh, if you're a test side. And that's that's what he was up against, and that's the tide that he that he swam against. It's quite it's quite incredible. You know, it's funny, like a lot of the criticism of England's uh, pitiful 67 was how, you know, white ball cricket has eroded all the test techniques. But um, as, as has been pointed out, the irony is that it was probably... Uh, Penn Stakes one day Nouse, which uh, has pulled off the uh, the great escape. Yeah, and uh, Glenn McGrath said on the BBC after the play that, you know, Australia always ends up on the wrong side of these thrilling test matches. And I remember Australia lost to Pakistan in 1994 by one wicket. Ian Healy missing a stumping off Shane Warne's bowling. Uh, we lost to the West Indies in that famous victory for the West Indies against us on the back of a Brian Lara 100 in 1999. Uh, India won by... Um, one wicket in 2010 when Australia looked like they might be able to win for the first time in India. You also add that to the loss in Adelaide in 1993 where we're batting and we lose by one run. I mean, Australia often ends up on the wrong side of these gripping matches. Yeah, I guess they do, man. As I mean, uh, I suppose it was inspired by uh, Nathan Lyon's missed run out, but one of my first thoughts was that this was basically the opposite of the 1999 World Cup semi-final where, you know, Australia famously ran out South Africa, you know, with the, with the scores tied. And, uh, you know, that's that's a moment that we've never forgotten and certainly South Africa's never forgotten for different reasons. And uh, it sort of felt a bit like that for mine that, you know, Australia just on the wrong end. But, yeah, look, I suppose when you put it like that, there's been some epic test matches that Australia's fallen short of. I mean, look, to be honest, in this kind of scenario... You know, we've seen it a thousand times that teams look like they're going to get there. And I had people texting me last night when uh, England were four down and 130 to get saying, oh, we're shot here. And I was sort of, I was pretty confident, to be honest, because you, you just know that it only takes one or two wickets and all the wheels fall off. And that pretty much happened, but but then Stoke. So, look, it's pretty exceptional. I mean, if you line up those circumstances probably another 30 times, uh, it's going to go Australia's way. I want to look back on the day a bit because it ebbed and flowed, but just there were three or four instances at the end where the game went to England. So Marcus Harris dropped a a sort of tough catch coming in off Ben Stokes when England needed 17 to win. And that, that will disappoint Langer with all the work that they do on the fielding. That's the sort of catch you expect to be taken. Then Tim Payne with an awful review in the second last over of the game when the ball clearly pitched outside leg stump and he burnt his last review. And then in the, the last over, we had the Lion missed run out 
when he could have had Leach by a few metres. And the next ball, he comes back, he traps Stokes, plumb in front. The umpire gives him not out, which was an absolutely shocking decision. Not sure how he did that. But Australia have only got themselves to blame because they had burned their last review. So it really did slip through Australia's fingers. It did. I mean, yeah, look, that was basically the worst umpiring decision you'll ever see. The uh, decision not to give that out, LBW, like it was absolutely plumb. And absolutely staggering. But as you say, Manners, you cannot complain when, you know, in a situation like that where there's a million things going on and in the very you know, previous over, I suppose Australia made a, a referral that was as bad as uh, as that decision not to give that uh, that out. So, yeah, look, these are the moments that haunt uh, Australia. I mean, without looking at it in specific moments, it's, it's sort of you look at England where they were when the, uh, when the ninth wicket fell 70 was it 73 runs still to get you know Australia should be looking at that as a just a wider picture you just should like there was something wrong obviously with the bowling and the fields to let uh, a team chase that many runs with one wicket in hand and to do it in 10 overs that's to me like it's not about the moment it's about you know that kind of situation what could they have done better to tighten things up keep the pressure on and just let England beat themselves and uh, unfortunately they let Ben Stokes get the upper hand, and, and in the end, they were the ones that succumbed to the pressure. Yeah, Tim Payne probably didn't have a great day captaincy, so look at the two reviews that he called for, and then some of the field, it just seemed like he let Stokes take, as you say, take charge of the game when Australia should have. Yeah, I think that's fair, but, uh, you know, like, let's just remember the, the pressure that was on. I mean, you know, these guys are test cricketers, there's always pressure, but... Um, you know, that was it doesn't get any more intense than that. So uh, that's what happens. Like great players make bad decisions under pressure. And that's what we love about high pressure Ashes cricket. So that was, you know, that, that was on show for both teams during this test match, wasn't it? Like you look at some of England's shocking batting in the first innings. Yeah, look, I know. Yeah, there's probably other moments like uh, a lot of people are saying that Australia probably, if you want to be harsh, probably should have set England more than 400 to chase in that last innings that they had their chances there the last few partnerships for Australia and you know probably didn't add as much as they they could have but um look how do you win a test after making 67 in the first innings like it's uh yeah look I mean no matter how you you cut it up uh Australia should have won the match and it's how they deal with the fact that they haven't that's uh going to decide the series because there's two matches to go and technically speaking Australia's still in the box seat for mine I mean I don't think Australia I don't think England are good enough to win three straight test matches to finish, uh, just looking at it. So I think Australia still have a massive chance to to clinch this series, but you cannot underestimate the psychological fallout from this, and that's going to be the key. How does Australia set this to one side and wipe the slate clean and go again? And I guess on the reverse... Does this give the English players that extra 10% boost that might just uh, push them ahead of the Aussies? You know, will this be the sort of um, confidence-boosting, morale-boosting victory that players might find that extra bit that could, uh, you know, propel England to what would be now one of the most incredible turnaround series wins in, in test history. I mean, so let's unpack something you said there. You said that Australia should have set them more, and I think you're 100% right. Australia being bowled out for 246 in the second innings 
did leave the door slightly ajar for the Poms, not just because they were chasing 359 and, you know, 400 plus would have been better, but because it was so early in the game, England got to bat on that third day on probably the best batting conditions of the whole test match rather than if, if it had been a day later and the same target had been set, well, then you can say England batting on the fourth and fifth day would have found it a lot harder. Yeah, well, man, it's just to answer all those questions you've posed there. I just come back to, I guess, the theme of what we're seeing in this series right now, and that is the skill of the batting overall is not <laughs> is not what we want, might have expected, certainly from Australia in the past, but England as well. Like This is not... Uh, a series, you know, we've got two unbelievable players in Stokes and Smith that have stood up. But outside of that, it's a, it's been pretty mediocre batting from both sides, evidenced by the fact Australia made 170 and then England 67 in the first innings of this test. So as much as the momentum is with England, how much that will count for, I think, is up for debate because you've still got a, you know, it's still a skill-based game. And if Australia can execute with the ball as they did in the second innings and get England, you know, three or four down in the first hour of at Old Trafford, then it's all back to it's all back to normal again, isn't it? And uh, and it's on. So look, I do, I don't know whether the momentum is going to play as big a role in this series as what uh, it has in the past. We, we remember in 1981 what both of them did to that series, but I just think that you know the batting from both sides is so average that. It gives, uh, it gives, yeah, and the bowl, and I should balance that up by saying the bowling from both teams is so good that you know I think that this series can be alive right to the end for that very reason. Yeah, and let's not forget that Australia only needs to win one of the next two Test matches to retain the Ashes, and I think from where we sit now. You know, a two-all results looking pretty good. Uh, you, you could see, you know, them splitting the next two games and Australia go home with the Ashes. So, you know, as you say, they're pretty even. They've both got their flaws. Um, Archer. The one thing I would say, men, is, is um, uh, I know we're playing this, these tests at a different time of year, but, uh, and again, as I mentioned before, the batting's sort of not what we've seen in the past. But look, Old Trafford and the Oval, like, you know, the, one of those tests could be a draw. I've seen one each uh, at both of those venues in the last two Ashes series, and that, that's that's the other possibility. But I guess whether the batting's good enough without the weather to uh, to account for a draw. But I mean, any, any, everything's on the table. I guess is my point that you know we, we could only have one more result test in this series. It could be split. Uh, it could go any way at the moment. I, I think that it's a pretty much an even money bet. But I still, I still, and you know, you know, men as I had England winning the series at the start, but. Having seen the first three tests, I've still got Australia as slight favourites because I think England, you know, I'm not sure they're good enough to win three straight test matches. And let's not forget Australia's best player wasn't involved in this game. I mean, you just have to put that out there. You know, Steve Smith was not playing in this game and uh, that was a vital, vital player missing. Absolutely. But I guess the... uh, the other argument is uh, Jimmy Anderson might be back for the next test. That's also possible. And despite the fact he's been injured, and I guess they'll be a little bit nervous about about playing him, uh, if he is fit, look out. I mean, he's, he is a phenomenal cricketer, particularly in his home conditions. So it's possible that both sides will be bringing back their, uh, their ace. Well, you, you speak about James Anderson coming back. I mean, it is a very good test attack if you have Anderson and Broad opening the bowling and then potentially Archer and Stokes as your first change. That is, by any measure, a very dangerous test attack. 
particularly with Archer now getting a rest because I think he needed it. If this was another back-to-back test match, I think uh, the wind would have been out of his sails a little bit. But, um, yeah, look, the break sort of works in England's favour in that sense as well. They get a chance to get Anderson back and they get a chance to, uh, you know, recharge Archer's battery. So, yeah, look, it's it's such a fascinating situation. I mean, you know, because, I mean, England, as much as they'll be, I'm, I'm sure, uh, desperate to play Anderson, in the back of their mind will be the fact that he, he was gone after four overs of the first test. And if that happened, again, it would be an absolute disaster. So, yeah, a lot of things to a lot of things to consider. Of course, Australia's decision next decision coming up is who makes way for Steve Smith. That's going to be an interesting one too. Yeah, that's a big decision. What, which way do you think they'll go? I would have thought Harris and Kawaja are probably the two that are in the gun. I guess the other one would be Travis Head. But I tend to think, look, I, I tend to think maybe Harris goes, Kawaja opens, and Manus at three. Yeah, but, right. Uh, but you know, I, I think the other possibility is Kawaja goes for. For Manus, look, I mean, Usman Khawaja, we know, has had issues with the swinging ball. But if you line him up against Marcus Harris, I'd probably favour Khawaja because he has had some heavy-duty moments in Test cricket where uh, he's shown he can do it. I'm not writing Marcus Harris off, but uh, at this point, we haven't seen uh, that performance from him. So, that look, it's a pretty tight call, but I would probably, uh, I'd probably drop Harris. So, Benny, you reckon they'll go for Kawaja? It seems sort of in the in between test matches, there was a little bit of press suggesting that Kawaja's spots are under fire. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't really know what they'd be thinking. I'm just saying what I would do. I'd probably back Kawaja's experience in this circumstance over Harris, but uh, that doesn't mean that that's what the selectors will do. I think uh, Kawaja probably has been under a bit of pressure, and they may feel that he's he's had his chances. So, um, yeah, look, I'm not sure which way they'll go on this one. It's a tight one, and um, probably Travis Head, I suppose, wouldn't be completely comfortable either. But, um, again, I thought he played an underrated role in the first test, uh, despite not making a 50, um, and he has had some big moments in test cricket. So I just sort of look at what we've seen from these players, uh, both form-wise this series and over the, over the space of their career, and I think uh, Harris probably, for mine, comes out at the bottom of the ledger, but it's a tough one. Yeah, it is a tough one. Uh, now, Manus Lobachain, 80 and 74 in this test match, follows on from a, a half century at Lords to save the, the test match. You you tweeted on the weekend that, you know, the selectors get a lot of um, stick for, for going with their gut, but they got this one right. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, there, there really was, I mean, he was in form at the time when he was picked for the UAE last year. But if you looked at his numbers, uh, there was really no reason for him to be picked ahead of other players. And, and they copped an absolute pasting from uh, from people for leaving out Maxwell and, and picking Lubbershane. But um, look, my view at the time, uh, and still is now, that you know the, the state of play in Australian cricket meant that there is a number of players really with very similar records, and it comes down to the selectors needing to pick on their instincts, and uh, they, they, their instincts uh, have been stronger with Marnus uh, than probably his first-class record. Um, but it, it's been they've been proven correct. He he's up to the level. He lifts and, uh, you know, he's, he's a tough character. It's, um, and I'm not just saying because he stood up in this test match. I think every time pretty much that he's played for Australia so far, he's shown something, even if it hasn't been with the bat. Yeah, you are spot on there. I, I feel like Marnus is a little bit of a pick from the 80s where they've sort of identified that he has the right sort of character 
to gel with Test cricket, and they sort of like they did with Steve Waugh, just throw him in there and see how he develops. Yeah, and that's you know that's not an easy thing, and you know they've thought that about different players before, and it hasn't gone so well, and they've uh, they've been hammered for it. But yeah, look, I think they've got that one right. You can't get everything right. Um, they haven't been able to nail that. Um, second opening spot so far in, uh, in three test matches. So that's a concern. And having dropped Bancroft, uh, the bench is getting pretty thin now, I suppose, in terms of what you do there. It's really stick with Harris or promote Kawaja. So, yeah, it's not to say the selectors don't have their headaches, but, you know, they've got a pretty big one right in the way they've uh, got Lubbershane through. That's right. It's a good problem to have. All right, just a, a little quick chat about the Australian bowling lineup. I mean, it can't be forgotten. Hazelwood took nine wickets for the game. Australia bowled out England for 67. So there's a lot to like about the bowling. Uh, but we saw an attack for the first time ever of Hazelwood, Cummins and Pattinson. Uh, what do you think they'll look at doing for the next test match? Do you think we might see Stark come in? Because he could, you know, help clean up the tail. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Look, we've got another gap um, between the next test, which... Uh, we had between the first and second, and that's you know made me think that they would definitely stick with Pattinson. But their logic was they didn't want to play him through back-to-back tests despite the the gap between matches. So look, if they're still taking that conservative approach with Pattinson, uh, there's every chance he might be rested again. And uh, then it comes down to Stark or Siddle. Look, I think if they are looking to change the the bowling attack, I think it probably is a time for Stark to come in in the sense that I think they really need to attack things. And I think that uh, flatter wicket at Old Trafford, I think, I mean, I, it's been a few years since I've, I've been there, but uh, yeah, look, I'd probably favor Stark, but look, I, the, I don't mind their strategy with the bowling and I don't think you could accuse them of making a mistake so far. I thought Siddle did a good job in the first couple of tests. Hazelwood's proven himself since coming back and, um, you know, yeah, no one has let Justin Langer down at this point, although uh, you could argue that things went a bit awry uh, in key moments yesterday. But uh, it, I guess it's going to come down to um, probably fitness more than anything. I think they'll just want to make sure they've got three three jets ready to, ready to go. Yeah, and uh, last couple. So I just want to make a quick mention of the work that Pat Howard did in preparing Australia for this tour. I know I was particularly critical of some of the stuff he did when he ran the high-performance team, but what he did get right was the way they've planned this Ashes tour, organising that Australia A tour, getting players over in England playing county cricket and bringing the Dukes ball into Sheffield Shield cricket has made Australia more prepared than any Ashes series in recent memory. So you have to give credit to Pat Howard for setting that up. Yeah, good point. Yeah, absolutely. And particularly given there was a World Cup preceding it, I mean, it was always going to be pretty hard, wasn't it, to turn your focus to Ashes cricket two weeks after a World Cup. But uh, thanks to Pat Howard's plan, they have been able to do that. So, you know, I think that that's been a key part. And I do think that Justin Langer's strategy with the bowling has also also been key, uh, even though, as I said, things probably went a little bit off the charts yesterday. But uh, overall, I think... Australia's um, had some pretty good plans in this series and uh, stronger than England's plans. And uh, hopefully that uh, stands them in good stead to still uh, still nail this series. I hope so. And uh, my final comment is that, 
you know, if this summer doesn't save English cricket, then nothing could ever do it because we've seen the, the best World Cup final. We've seen one of the, the best ever Ashes tests. This is what cricket fans in England needed to reignite the game in that country. Yeah, it, it did. I mean, it is going to be interesting what kind of lasting impact it has. I mean, there's a lot of talk about matches not being on free-to-air TV in England and just the general public really not having uh, access to these stars. So, I mean, <laughs> that situation hasn't really f- changed. I mean, outside of the uh, World Cup final, uh, there's still no matches on free-to-air TV. But, yeah, look, I mean, in, st- in terms of the state of the team, I mean, I don't think they're in any worse state than Australia is. They're the world's best one-day team. Uh, they're a battling test team, but, you know, name a, name a test country that's not battling, aside from maybe India. Like, it's it's just the way things are at the moment. It's very, very difficult for modern players, it seems, to juggle the formats. Um, but what we've seen in this series is that uh, it is still the best format. You can't beat test cricket. That's right. And a good note to end the podcast on, Ben. Thanks for coming on and helping me make sense of one of the craziest nights of cricket. And I will catch up soon. Thanks, man. It's good to chat. Well, that was Ben Horn, cricket writer for News Corp. And uh, that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. What a crazy range of emotions I have been through this weekend. I couldn't have been happier and more joyous after Australia bowled England out for 67. Now I sit here slightly dejected, very tired and a little bit nervous about the way this series could go. But, but like Ben, I still feel that Australia have a really good chance at winning one of the next two test matches and retaining the Ashes. But I thought the same in 2005 and it didn't work out then. So maybe it's going to play out the same here. But look, listeners... You've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Coming soon, a special feature interview with Meg Lanning, Australian women's cricket team captain. I'll also be calling one of the journalists over in the UK to get an update from someone that was at Headingley to witness that phenomenal game. Well, thanks for listening and back soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.